everyone, uh, Dave here, your host of Legends of the Spire. Uh, each week I obviously uh, talk to a load of former Chesterfield players about their careers in the sport. Last week we had Danny Wilson, uh, which was really great to have him on. That got us to number 60, uh, which felt like a bit of a milestone. Hopefully we can get to 100 somehow, might take me a few years, but uh, I'll try and get there. Uh, this week we do get over to number 61, as I spoke to Barry Roach. Now, Barry was a goalkeeper with Chesterfield in the Roy McFarlane, Lee Richardson era in the mid-noughties, uh, coming to the club after being released by Nottingham Forest. He was a young keeper finding his uh, way in the game, but played over 100 league games for Chesterfield in his time with us. Uh, his most notable achievements obviously being that uh, League Cup run in 2006, where he was the um, doing goalkeeper heroics in the penalty shootout versus Wolverhampton Wanderers. That set us up uh, with those great games against uh, Man City and West Ham. Obviously those goals from people like Derek Niven and Caleb Vaughan will live long in the memory. Um, but Barry played his, game, played his role in those games too, putting in some good performances uh, against some legendary strikers. Now at the end of his Chesterfield career he suffered a bit of a drop in form, that's his words not mine, um, which resulted in his relationship with the fans turning a little bit sour. He infamously uh, gave them the finger uh, during one match uh, after getting a bit of abuse from the terraces. Um, so he spoke about that and, uh, and how it really helped his career actually um, from when he moved on to Morecambe and then had that long career with them. He then obviously featured in net uh, against us quite a few times in Morecambe, especially in that uh, infamous 4-3 uh, defeat uh, over in Morecambe where we were 3-0 up at half-time. And I actually spoke to him on the ninth anniversary of that game, so we obviously had to give it a bit of a mention. And, uh, and yeah, it was great to have him on. Uh, he's still uh, now at Morecambe as their goalkeeping coach, so we wish him uh, all the best for the future and hopefully we're playing Morecambe again sometime uh, in the league. I never thought I'd say that. Um, but here we are uh, with another episode of Legends of the Spire. Please do like, share, subscribe, whatever it is on whatever platform you're listening on. It does help me uh, get up the charts um, and in the uh, analytics of various different websites and things. So it does really help. And, uh, and if you do have any comments, do get in touch with me on social media. I'm just at Spire Legends at the usual places uh, on social media or legendsofthespireoutlook.com if you live next to a Spire right, or you can point me in the direction of any uh, future interviewees. But here we are with episode number 61. He's got no hair, but we don't care. It's Barry Roach. So explain the, explain the shirts behind you. Are they? Uh, there's my, I'll show you that. There's my testimonial shirt. Mm-hmm. That's Scott Carson's from the uh, the cup run, the Chesterfield right. Cup run. Yeah, yeah. Charlton. Mm -hmm. And then we played Chelsea a couple of years ago in the FA Cup, so I managed to get a Kepa shirt as well. Nice. Excellent. Good to see a Chesterfield linked one on there. No, it's, it's probably, I think it's the only shirt I ever swapped when I was playing. I always felt too embarrassed to ask for the shirt, so I never, you know, I never did it. We played against Rob Green and you know some good goalkeepers, but I never wanted. I always felt a bit, you know, a bit stupid asking for the shirts, which I regret <laughs> now. So it's interesting because uh, I spoke to, I've spoke, I've had a few players on the podcast that have ended up coming from Ireland and then ended up at Chesterfield, and even we had um, Sean O'Neill who 
came over, who was from Belfast, but came over from Belfast to play for Leeds in the 1960s and then ended up at Chesterfield. So you've kind of had a trip, haven't you, kind of over the, over the water? And it was it Leeds that you came to when you came over? No, well, I, my first trial was at Leeds, and I think I was like 13, 14, and I was supposed to, they'd offered me a contract uh, scholarship for when I was 16. But the manager at Leeds at the time, the youth team was Paul Hart. He moved to Forest, asked me to come with him, and I did. So I went to I went to Forest instead. Uh, obviously, was, Paul was a, you know, after that, he was such a big influence on my career, but he was, you know, the main reason I was signing for Leeds. So when he asked me to go to Forest with him, I went over and had a look and I thought, you know what, this is the place for me. Mm-hmm. Another former Chesterfield link as well. Paul Hart managed Chesterfield. Yeah. Uh, uh, fantastic man, you know, unbelievable coach, manager. You know, he, he played a, a massive role in my early career. Yeah, because it's a big thing to do, isn't it? Kind of move move away from home into a... Uh... It, it, it is, but at the time... I remember at the time it, it, it didn't seem like a big thing at all because you know this is what I want to do and it's what I wanted to do for such a long time mm. that as soon as I was given the opportunity, I, there was you know there wasn't even a thinking process. It was like right, I'm going, and you know it was made easier at Forest because we had you know we were all in you know, all the lads who moved you know from obviously Ireland and different parts of the country to Nottingham. We were all in the same house, but there was about 12, 13 Irish lads, so it effectively was a home away from home. Yeah. And made the settling in process a lot easier. So so were you always a was football always your sport? Or was there yeah. any others? I, I played Gaelic football back home. Uh and that's that's a game that obviously I, I loved, but from you know, from seven, from, I think from seven years old, it was like right, it, it was football and football only. Mm. And were you always a goalkeeper? Did you ever dabble anywhere else on the pitch? Yeah, it was one of them. Who's the biggest? Yeah, throw him in goal, and then I never got back out. <laughs> and I suppose did you have the men- good mentality to go in goal? Because you have to throw yourself at stuff, don't you? You can't be. Uh... My, my old man was a goalkeeper in the uh, in the League of Ireland, so I watched him, uh, you know, as, as a young boy, and then it, it just it was it was just something that I loved, you know. Like you, like you said, you have to have. Uh, a certain mentality to playing goals. You know, you're constantly throwing yourself around, throwing yourself in the way of the ball. But for me, it was just something that I always felt just came quite natural. And it was something that I loved even from an early age. I remember Bob Wilson talking about how he kind of, if there was someone's boot there, he would quite happily throw his face in the way of the boot. He, he said it was kind of a natural thing for him <laughs> that he didn't have. It, it is though, you know, to play in goal, you, you, know, you have to be able to do that. And you have to be able to do that without hesitation. You know, so we I, I look on the training ground now and I look at the centre halves and they're heading balls 40 yards and I automatically I think, oh, I'd hate to have to head the ball like that. And then I think, well, hold on a second. As a goalkeeper, you throw yourself in the way of the ball if someone's blasting at three or four yards and you do it without hesitation. You know, it's just, it's part of the job. Yeah, isn't it? So, so yeah, your, your early days at Forest then. So this is like early noughties then, isn't it? Is this like... I moved, to, I moved to Forest in 98. Yeah. So, so what were those days at Forest then like? Because you, oh, were... it was incredible. I don't, you know, I don't think until after you leave a club like Forest, you realise how good you had it. You know, it, it was it was incredible. You know, from the way we were looked after in the digs off the pitch, uh, the way you were looked after at the club, the you know the football upbringing you were given, but also you know, and this is why I go back to Paul Hart. You know, he he helped make us men, and he prepared us really. You know, in my opinion, really, really well for 
how difficult uh, and hard fo- you know football can be. Mm. Yeah, totally. And um, and you had some good play, good goalkeepers that you were with, weren't you at that time? It's like Danny Darren Ward and Paul Gerrard and people like yeah, that. Yeah, well, I. I uh... In when I was in, when I was a scholar, I was the two first team goalkeepers, but Dave Besson and Mark Crosley, and they oh, wow. were you know, they wow. were brilliant with me. You know, I cleaned their boots. I didn't, you know, I, each player was given uh, a first two first team players kit, boots, etc., to look after. And obviously, it was the natural thing for a goalkeeper to goalkeeper. So I obviously looked up to them, learned from them. Uh, my first year in the first team, when you know I made it to the first team squad at eighteen, it was under Dave Besson, and he he was incredible for me. Uh, because he was a goalkeeper of a similar stature in terms of he was he was six four he, you know I sort of tried to I mean, as a kid especially you do I, I tried to watch what he did in training and, and you know implicate and sort of do it myself mm-hmm. and then there was Mark Crosley like you said Darren Ward who uh, you know fantastic goalkeeper different goalkeeper than Dave Besant but a fantastic goalkeeper you know I worked with Darren for two, three years, then Paul Gerrard, and I think I mean, that's, that was it before I left. Yeah. And you did kind of make, was it about a dozen appearances, something like that? Yeah, I made 12 appearances, but uh, and hindsight's a great thing. I didn't, in my opinion, I didn't work hard enough that when the chance was there for me to make, to make the most of it, and I know that now, at the time you don't see it, uh, or I didn't see it. But looking back now, that each time I went in, I wasn't ready because... I wasn't at that stage working hard enough, you know, off the pitch, mm. you know, eating rice, you know, I'm not saying I was, you know, I had a, a bad, particularly bad diet, but I just, there's a lot more I could have done to make myself prepared for when the, when the chances came. I suppose, is that all kind of uh, things that you take into your coaching now then when you're working with people in time of giving them a bit of advice and things like that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we've got a, We've got a really good group of three goalkeepers uh, at the club now. Um, sort of different stages of the career, you know. Uh, but they're well, firstly they're an easy group to work with, uh, you know, because all they want to do is work hard and they push each other. But I'd like to think, and I'm always there to, you know, to listen, to give advice. You know, I've I've been in the game a long time. I've seen most situations that occur on the pitch. So when, when I can give advice, then uh, you know. They, they tend to come and ask for it, which, you know, is good. And it's it's a funny position, isn't it? Because you can only ever play one goalkeeper. <laughs> you, know, you can play two strikers. You can play a couple of midfielders. It is. Only one person. Always, spot, nine times out of ten, you'll always see the two goalkeepers are really good friends, which is unusual because they know there's only one of them going to play at the end of the day. But they push each other. And certainly, you know, the goalkeepers I've worked with at this club, you know, they push each other to be better. You know, they back the other goalkeeper. You know, I know the other, the number two will always want to play and he'll always want to take his chance, but they push each other to be better goalkeepers. And that's always tended to be the case. Yeah. And and you had a few good strikers that you'd have been in, in training against, I suppose, when you were at, at Forest. You'll have been there when a couple of years when Jack Lester was there, won't you? Yeah, yeah. I, I was there with Jack. Uh, and Jack was a good friend of mine, obviously doing... Really well in the, in uh, in at Sheffield United now, uh, but oh, Jack was brilliant. He was a joy to watch at times, and obviously when he went to Chesterfield, you know, like you you said in the in the message you sent me, breaking all the records. He he was just he was fantastic. He had everything, and he had he had for me that uh, he had that nasty which which you'll know and watch him. Yeah. He had that nasty streak in him, which uh, which I think all good players need. 
is absolutely is that type of play that you want playing for you and not against you, isn't it? I, I, oh, I think I, I actually remember him playing for Forest at Chesterfield a few years before he signed, and I think he, he like elbowed someone right in front of us. And I remember being apoplectic with rage. And then a few years later, we were all loving him. Jack would throw an elbow from time to time, wouldn't he? But he, he just he just wanted to win. He was a winner. Yeah. And you know, if it meant knocking someone to the floor to get the ball and sticking them in the back of the net, then he was going to do it, which you know for me is dead right. Yeah, yeah, too right. Love Jack Lester. Uh, did you have anything to do with him signing? Then, yeah. Because obviously he was leaving, he was leaving Forest, wasn't he? And I'm trying to think, was it Rico was the manager then? Yeah, was, yeah, Rico. So it would have been 2000. Rico had mentioned it to me, and obviously knew I was close with Jack. Uh, and he said, "Listen, just get on to him. You know, do you think he'd be interested?" So obviously I spoke to him, and Jack was based in Knotts, so location-wise was ideal. It was great for me because it was another car school member, <laughs> and myself and Gregor Robertson. I, I just sort of hounding him really and said listen come on come up and play for us and then he spoke to Rico and then they uh, they obviously got the deal I think they got the deal done quite quickly as well And but for Chesterfield it was an unbelievable signing you should have got a signing on fee for that sorry <laughs> you should have got a signing on fee for that funny enough I did mention it but I never saw any <laughs> Leicester oh Jack Leicester good running by Jack Leicester Oh, what a goal from Jack Lester. Number 25 this season. And what a class goal that was. He took the ball from the throw into Martley. He took the ball. He turned the defender. He skipped past another one, found the space and curled it around the keeper. So when it came to signing for Chesterfield then, how did that all come about? I got released from Forest at 23. And I ended up, you know, I, I had nothing on the table. I'm thinking, you know, I, I was starting to panic. I'd gone back to Ireland, uh, started playing Gaelic football again just to keep me fit. And I got till, I think, sort of a week before pre-season. And I had nothing. So I remember ringing uh, Ian McParland because he was my reserve manager at Forest. And I said, listen, is there anything you can do? Do you know anybody? And he says, right, I think Chesterfield need a goalkeeper. So I said, oh, brilliant. So he spoke to Roy Mack. Uh, and said, you know, come in for a trial. And I remember I turned up because obviously Muggs was injured. Mm -hmm. uh, and there was me and Scott Shearer both turned up on the same day uh, on trial. And so sort I of spent two weeks there, played a couple of games, and then they called me in and offered me a two-year deal, which, you know, for me was, uh, it was brilliant, but it was uh, it was just such a relief. Yeah. I, I remember Tommy Lee talking about when he was on trial at Chesterfield, saying that there was a couple of, times when he, he nearly kind of had howlers in <laughs> in friendlies and it, it could have history could have been so different had you that's the thing it is because if, when you're on trial you only you might only get one chance to impress you know and you might have one one mistake in a game in a friendly and they're like okay do you know what we'll bring someone else in thankfully uh i can't remember who we played against i think matlock was maybe my first one uh but i trained well the friendlies went okay and uh and, and obviously they offered me a deal it was it was bonkers friendlies that summer because we had like Matlock and I think maybe Scarborough as well I think and then we had that friendly against Malaga. That was a strange one, yeah. It was, it was brilliant though. It was that was it was great fun playing Malaga. I, just, I, just, I, just, I just, years, like that. 
I'd completely forgotten about that until you until you said it in the in the questions yesterday. I was like, Malaga. I went, I was like, yeah, I think we got beat two one. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and I think you played about sixty minutes, something like that. I think maybe Muggleton had like half an hour or something like that. Yeah, but for, for, for a club, you know, for a club uh, in or we League One then to be playing a, a Spanish top division side, it, it was brilliant. But you know, I'm not sure we touched much of the ball for uh, large parts of the game, but it, it was a great experience. Oh yeah, it was a great occasion for the fans. The fans loved it, and it must have been it must have been weird for those Malaga players to be going to Saltergate. I guess it's a bit different than what they were used to. <laughs> how did how did you find Saltergate? It was obviously a ground that we all completely loved. Uh, had a lot of kind of just had an air about it, didn't it? Of a ground. I I, I really enjoyed playing there uh, because. You always felt that not a lot of opposition teams and players enjoyed coming there because it was you know there was the away changing rooms were small. It was it was a difficult ground to play, but you know especially uh, you sort of not, matches under the lights there. You know the atmosphere could be absolutely brilliant. You know I always really really enjoyed playing there. Yeah, and and like um, uh, Nottingham Forest famously uh, when we played them in the FA Cup. When we got to the semi-final, they they didn't go into the changing rooms. They went straight from the bus to the pitch, and from the pitch to the bus because <laughs> they didn't. Oh, that's, a bit too, that's a bit too much, and obviously, <laughs> it didn't work for them, did it? No, no. They, they, it was a it was a lovely ground, wasn't it? But the the changing rooms and things like that left something to be desired, didn't it? But they did, there's one thing I there's one game I can't remember who we played. It was middle of winter, and I mean it was freezing. So we've gone in before the game. Uh, Obviously into the dressing room, uh, there's no heating. I'm thinking, oh, it's cold. So we've gone in at half time. The lights had gone too, so there's no heating. The lights had gone back in after the game, and I mean, we were absolutely freezing. Showers had gone as well. But obviously, I think we won the game. But uh, yeah, it was absolutely freezing. But as an, I'm honestly, I was there uh, as an away player as well. It, it, it's difficult for an away team. See, you know, there are certain grounds like that. That you know, when I moved to Morecambe, Christie Park. No away team liked going there, and we always felt that you know we were almost one nil up before a ball had even been kicked. And I think sometimes at Saltergate, especially when you play the bigger teams, that was the case. Yeah, and a, f- a few people, have, uh, a few players have spoken as well about how because of the wooden stands, you kind of hear the stadium filling up <laughs> as, yeah. you, as you were kind of coming in from uh, doing the warm up and stuff like that. Yeah, it's a great, a great ground. Um, and and I've, I've just started a fanzine called Linda's Sandwich Shop. Uh, based on the epic sandwich shop at the end of the road. Oh, um, Linda! Yeah, yeah, Linda's sandwich. Yeah, we were there every day. Yeah, did you have a favourite filling? What What did you usually go for? You're testing me now. <laughs> Ham, cheese, and coleslaw. All oh, right, I've not had that one before. Not had that Do you one. know? Funny enough, every time I went and asked for it, they were like, "What? You want coleslaw and cheese?" And I'm like, yeah, either that or a jacket potato. Okay, standard. Yeah, it, it, it was great. We always had a good bit of uh, a good bit of banter down there, and obviously, it would have been just such, such a short walk from the ground. It was ideal. Yeah, and obviously, that that's grounds all just a uh, it's just a housing estate now. But the sandwich shop is still there, although it's, still it, there. it's now it's now owned by a Chesterfield fan and former season ticket holder. So it's uh, it's kind of still there, <laughs> still selling sandwiches. Uh, I think. I think Chinese chicken is the one that seems to come up quite a lot from a, from a few players around your time, uh, kind of Alex Bailey and Phil Pickin and people like that used to like Chinese chicken. I think I think though at times because there was so many of us going down there at once, 
and it was always so busy. You know, it, sometimes you were like, right, you can sort of take what you can get because the filling started to uh, to run out quite quickly. <laughs> but uh, no, it, it was brilliant, and we always we always uh, enjoyed going there and there having a chat with Linda and just having you know, having a bit of a bit of banter as well. What was what was Roy Mack like? Because obviously, he's a great. Character. I re- I really enjoyed working for Roy Mack. Uh, obviously, he he's the one who gave me my chance. Uh, he's the one who sort of really gave me my chance to make a career for myself, you know, and start playing football regularly. But I thought Roy Mack was obviously the gentleman, but he was a he was a really good man manager. And I remember there's a sort of I remember once I, I was in I think it was in the first season there. Uh, I, I was playing, I was doing okay. Uh, and we've gone, we were playing Rotherham away at Millmore and he's named the team in the dressing room and I wasn't in it. And sort of straight away you're thinking, hold on a second, you've not said anything to me, you've not let me know I'm not playing. Uh, and he pulled me in, I think he left me out for four or five games. And, you know, you're thinking, I should be back in the team, you know, I should, I, you, know you want to be playing. And then he pulled me in the Friday before he put me back in. And he said, listen, I just felt you needed a rest. He says, but he goes, and this this is a story I, I tell, and I tell a lot of players now, you know, because players don't like being left out and it, it's, it's important we react well. He said, listen, I felt you needed a rest, taken out of the firing uh, line. He says, but the first thing I looked for on the Monday after you'd been dropped was your attitude and training. But my attitude was, I'm going to prove you wrong, get back in the team, which a lot of players don't do. They might throw their toys out of the pram. But I just felt... At the time, I was like, no, I shouldn't be out of the team. But then I've gone back in the team, started playing well again. I thought, you know what? He, he knows his players. He knew he, he was dead right to do what he did. And that that that's little touches like that on, on a personal level as, as a man manager. I thought he was excellent. Yeah, absolutely. And that season when you joined, so this is the 2005-06 season, um, we, we started really well. And we were like fourth in the league, I think, in November or something yeah. like that. And it was, it was like defying all expectations. Uh, and it was like it was a really exciting, fun, like four four two, like in like the tr- very traditional way. And there's obviously some great players. I mean, in your defence, you, you had Shane Nicholson was back, and Steve Bladerwick, and Bill Pick and Alan O'Hare, Ruben Hazel. You know, it was a good. It was a, a really good squad of players, wasn't it? It was. It was a really good squad of players. You know, obviously the talent was there, but what was evident for me was the work ethic in them. You know, there, there was there was a nice well, there was a nice mix of youth and experience, but every single player worked their socks off. Everyone knew their knew their role in the team, and you know, which I I think has gone out of the game now. Uh, you were held account accountable that if you know if you weren't doing the business, if you were making mistakes, you're held accountable. And I don't think that. Happens as much in the game now, but the, you know, and characters in the dressing room as well. They're, they're great set of lads, obviously Shinner, Blathers, Big Chief, Paul Hall. You know, they were really, really good set of lads. Yeah, and and you could tell. I think you could tell as a fan around that time that the team spirit was really good because they just it just seemed like you it, it was because I think Roy Mack had brought in. Uh, obviously, you know, he brought in talented players, but he brought in good people as well. And I think that again, that's another thing he did. You know, he he was always going to check before he signed someone what kind of person he was bringing in, not just what kind of player. And I think that's really, really important. Yeah, you can have all the talent in the world, but if you're an absolute idiot in the changing room, it isn't going to end well. (laughs) 
I bet you've had a mixture of people in in your changing rooms over over the years. <laughs> I have, but I've I count myself fortunate that I've I don't really think I've ever been in a bad changing room. You know, there's been the odd player that you don't particularly like or get on with, but I've been really fortunate that I think I've always been in a pretty decent changing room. Yeah, and and we started off that season well. I think it was uh, Brentford. I think we started off. With. I remember Alex Bailey talking about that season because he was friends with half the Brentford squad, I think, and he was saying that it was quite a, it was like a surprise, but not a surprise that you started off, started off really well. So as as you coming in as like a, a, a first choice for the first time, what was it like for you in terms of just finding your feet as a, you know, you're the it, was, it was it was completely different for me because obviously I, I played like you said 10, 12 games for Forest, but I'd never had an extended run in the team. Uh, I'd never had someone go, right, you know, you're number one, go and play. And, and I absolutely loved it. You know, the, the difference, just playing every week, playing in front of, uh, you know, as I said, I only made 10, 12 appearances in six, seven years, but playing every week and how important each and every each and every point was, it, it was brilliant. And it was, it was brilliant for me. As a goalkeeper, does it make a lot of difference when you have that security of be, of knowing that you're a, that you're a number one? Especially, yeah. especially if you're quite young as well. At the same time. Absolutely. If you if you've got someone who puts their trust in you, it for me it can get an extra five ten percent out of your performance. Absolutely. And for me, it, it, it meant an awful lot, Roy. Roy Max, listen, you're number one. Uh, I remember. I think I'd made a mistake. I don't know who was I made a mistake on a Saturday, and we had a cup game midweek. That. Mugs played in that game, and I thought, oh, you know, am I going to be left out? I think they won the cup game. But he pulled me on the Friday and says, "Listen, forget about the mistake last week. You are my number one. Go and play." And it was brilliant. Yeah, because I think we forget at the time you were probably only what, like 22, 23? something like twenty-three. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's young to be. Uh, yeah, to that's why I said I've a lot to be thankful to Roy for because he took a chance on me, mm. and. Uh, if you know, you don't find that many people will put you know their faith in a young goalkeeper. Yeah, and and you had a you had a penalty save in like one of your first few games. I think it was at Yeovil. I think you you saved the penalty about six games in something like that. I, I mean, I, I I've got to say I didn't remember it before I did the research. So I don't. Know I, I didn't rem- I didn't remember it when you mentioned it yesterday, and I looked it up and I couldn't find it. But now you said it, I gave the penalty away as well. All oh, right, okay. So, so you really want to make up for it then? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, that's only just come to me now. I've come for a bouncing ball in the box and gone to punch it, and I think I've more or less taken the player's head off instead of the ball. You know, I've come too late, but you know, it's one of them. You think, oh no, we were winning. Come I mean, you have you've given it away. You have to save this now. Yeah. Did you have a did you have a, a kind of a, a tactic in in terms of saving penalties? Because obviously you were with. I mean, from your Forest days, you were with a couple of keepers that. Uh, like Mark Cross in that, they knew how to save penalties. Uh, I, I just always felt that because of my size, I thought, right, if if you go the right way, if I go the right way, it's going to have to be one hell of a penalty to beat me. Um, certainly, the older I got, uh, you know, and the more analysis work came into the game, you know, you could study penalty takers, you know, on the different websites, watch all the penalty takers. Where back then, you know, there was none of that available, so. You know, you might have someone go, listen, he went left last time. He might change it. But I just a lot of it, I went off run up. Um, 
And I always like to give, uh, you know, give them a little bit in the rear before the penalty and you know, just try and put them off. And sometimes it works, sometimes it didn't. But I ended up having a pretty decent uh, penalty record, I think, over yeah. the years. I, th- I think you saved quite a few for us, I think, both in, in shootouts and just in regular games. I think there's a few when I was looking yesterday that uh, that you saved over that time. And there's just a couple more things from that first season because it's a season we don't talk about that much. I think because the second half tailored off a bit, um, yeah. it's fair to say. But but there was a there was a naught naught away at Forest, which I saw, which must have been nice for you keeping a clean sheet at Forest. Yeah, it was because obviously it was the first time I'd been back. Um, I do you know I remember the game as well, Sammy. Sammy Klingon was playing for us. Uh, I remember that. Uh, it was for me going back there was obviously very special because that's where I started. But there was obviously there was a lot more nerves involved because you're you know you're going back to your old club where you know things didn't go particularly well at times. Uh, you know, so to go back there and keep a clean sheet was really really satisfying. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And it just remind me, some of the midfield they had just come down as well, didn't they? I think. I think they had, yeah, because I think we, I think we lost to them at home. I think it was like three-one at home or something three, like that. Yeah. But but got the point away. But but you just, I mean, the midfielders we had, we had we had like Sammy Klingon and Jamie O'Hara <laughs> kind of around. Oh, there was still, there was some really talented players coming through those doors. Really talented players, yeah. You have to pull so a Jamie, I think it was his. It was his first loan from Spurs. Uh, you know, some really good footballers in there. One one thing, the last thing on that five six season, the the one thing probably we remember more than a lot is the performance of Darren Deadman, the referee. <laughs> there was a a game where we lost four three to Southend, and I think Janos Kovacs got sent off for the ball hitting him like plumb in the middle of the chest on the goal line, and he got that was at home, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I, I remember think that, that yeah. might have been actually the game before before he took you out for for a few games, maybe because I, I, we just remember it, Darren Deadman. Wearing kind of, I think there was a rumor at the time that he was wearing pumps instead of <laughs> instead of studs, and and, he, and I remember Janos Kovac taking his shirt off and showing the referee this yeah, kind of the mark in his chest. I remember that, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there must have been times when you've had referees that you remember over the years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, I suppose I can say what I want now. I'm not a player anymore. Um, yeah, listen, I I, I always. I always sort of rein myself back in from being too critical of referees because at the end of the day, they're only human. They've got a split second, you know, to make the decision. You know, inevitably they're going to get some wrong. But my issue was there was, you know, you come up against referees who wouldn't speak to you, you know, who would you just walk away from you, wouldn't talk to you, wouldn't explain the decisions. And I get that they won't speak to players who are verbally abusing them, stuff like that. But I always try to speak to them normally and, the ones that would just walk away and not explain, that's that's when you find a lot of a lot of players now, uh, or not now, always ha- have an issue with. If the ref explains his decision to you, even if you don't agree with it, he'd say, listen, this is why I gave it. Even if you don't agree with it, then you find a lot of players will, will appreciate that a lot more. And, you know, there are some great refs out there. Um, there are some poor ones, as, we, as we've seen over the years. Uh, but like I said, they've, they've got a really, really difficult job. Uh, but it's the fourth official I feel sorry for. Yeah, <laughs> he, he just gets he just gets shouted and abused by both benches every minute of every game. But like I said, the, the refs have uh, they've got a really difficult job. Yeah, 
certainly with Paul Cook at the moment. I mean, he gives he gives the fourth officials <laughs> quite a lot of yeah, yeah, I know, I know what Cook is like. <laughs> Corner kick for the Spyrites. Southend have got some defending to do, and they haven't done that defending. Colin Larkin on the line has turned it in. The Irishman needed no second invitation. The Harvard. One kick from him, putting the Blues away. An opportunity for Gower, pulls it back, Guttridge misses it. There's Freddie Eastwood. Eastwood shot blocked. Kills for handball, and it's given. Penalty kick for Southend. Janos Kovac is the man in trouble. And the 20 year old Hungarian has given away the penalty kick. And he's given away more, he's been sent off. A red card for the defender. Early in this second half, they've given Southend a man advantage and the opportunity to get back on terms. Well, the youngster being commiserated. Eastwood looking for number 14 of the season. Up against Barry Roche. Eastwood scores! It's 1-1. After a handball inside the box, Southend back on terms and with 11 men still on the pitch. So the 06-07 season, this is obviously famous for the cup run uh, because it was amazing, that cup run. And oh. we kind of it had it have it all to thank for you in many ways because it was the first game was against Wolves and that's when we had the penalty shootout. Well, the first penalty shootout, wasn't it? Yeah, that was... Uh... I managed to save, I think, their fifth penalty, which obviously took it into sudden death, and then they blazed it over the bar. But the game itself, we did. They were championship at the time, weren't they? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. The game itself, really good game. You know, we we were, you know, we it was it was a 50-50 game. But I, I always felt entering any penalty shootout, I'm going to save at least one. And you know, thankfully, I got, I got lucky and went the right way for the last one. But I was always, I was always very, very confident going into a shootout that uh, that I'd be able to make a save. I think every goalkeeper should be. But like I said, I, I always thought if I go the right way, I'm going to save it. Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel as a goalkeeper? Do you feel the pressure in a in a penalty shootout? Because no, it's kind of not, it's not expected for you to save it. You're in a no lose situation. You know, I, I'd often find myself sort of, you know, say five minutes to go in, in extra time, thinking, right, just blow it up now, let's go. I used to get really, really excited about penalty shootouts because I'd always back myself to save one. And like you said, if you didn't, no one's going to question you. If you do, then you can be the hero. Yeah, and obviously we got our rewards from that Wolves game because then we had Man City and then West Ham and then Charlton. Uh, you, you were up against some good strikers, weren't you, in that, in that cup run? No, yeah, I just do. There was... Teddy Sheringham, Bobby Zamora, Hasselbank. Uh, but, you know, that, that cup run was incredible. And I was only thinking about this afternoon coming on. Like, for any League One, League Two side now, going in a cup run, automatically you want big team away from home because you want to go and play at, you know, the big stadiums. But at that time, we wanted every home, we wanted every game at home, which, you know, so we got lucky with the draw. But because we always felt that, listen, That'll give us the best advantage and, and the best chance to win, and it worked out that you know 
and in every in the West Ham and Man City games, you know, I, I remember we for me we fully deserved the wins as well. You know, it, it was definitely not backs to the wall stuff at any point in any of those games, and you know we fully deserved the wins. But those games under the lights and the atmosphere were just absolutely incredible. I've actually got a picture on the wall there of uh, me and me and Downsy after that game. <laughs> another former another former podcast guest, uh, Downsy. Uh, yeah, I mean, like you say, that the 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 wind and the rain kind of swirled around in it because it was on top of the hill, so it was like a perfect ground, wasn't it, for evening matches? I used to, I used to yeah. love those evening matches there. It was, it, it was special under the lights, and there always there always seemed to be a much better atmosphere for evening games. And obviously, in, in the cup room when you're playing against uh, Premier League sides, you're going to have more fans in. But th- those those nights were really really special. Yeah. And I even remember like Jamie Lowry coming on as a, a real youngster, <laughs> getting his chance, I think, in those matches. And I think like I, I remember like Dietmar Herman and Micah Richards and, and people yeah. like that playing in those games. It was and, and it was proper Roy of the Rovers style way to win it as well, wasn't it? Those games. Oh yeah. Uh who, who Nivo, Nivo's volley against yeah. against Man City. City or West Ham? Yeah, against City, yeah. Right, right. So obviously Caleb stuck one in the top corner as well. Uh, Chiefs last minute equaliser against Charlton an extra time wasn't it but then, you know they were brilliant brilliant nights and really good memories Jody Craddock then versus Barry Roach and Jody Craddock has put it over the ball and Chesterfield have qualified for the second round for the first time in 23 He's done really well here to get into the box and to uh, hang up across away by Rayner. Oh, what a strike! What a wonderful strike from Derek Niven! That is a fabulous goal of what is turning into a fabulous night for Chesterfield Football Club. What was the like presiding feeling after the Charlton game? Because obviously they've we took Charlton right to the edge. As well, was it was it kind of disappointment, or were you kind of pleased that? No, we were devastated because we felt we should have won the game, uh, and obviously, given we you know we put out two, three Premier League sides before that, and that that would have taken us into the quarterfinals, wouldn't it? Um, you know, you you start thinking when you get to the quarterfinals, you just one win away from the semi-finals, and anything can happen, uh, and to, to to lose to lose in a penalty shootout is horrendous. You know, we'd, we'd won in the first round, which is brilliant uh, on pens. But when you go out on a penalty shootout, it's really hard to take. But there was also an immense feeling of pride given how well we'd done. You know, we'd pushed another Premier League side, you know, all the way with nothing to separate the two teams uh, bar, bar a penalty. Which was your favourite game out of that cup run? Uh, probably... Probably the West Ham game, uh, because I, I I got caught out of position for their opener, and then automatically, you know, straight away when because I put them, I think I put them one nil up. Uh, you're you're on the you know you think right you've got to make make amends make amends. And then I remember making a, a save in the last few minutes. Teddy Sheringham went through one on one, and I saved that. And it just so right you've slightly redeemed yourself a little bit, but. That, that it's hard, it, it would be hard to choose because there's so many special, you know, special moments. When Nivo's volley went in, 
you know, and Caleb was one when he's curled it in the top corner, you know, just the atmosphere was electric in the ground. It was incredible. Alan O'Hare sizing up his options here. Oh, Ricochet, it's surely in, it is for Poland! Suddenly he was free in front of goal! And Caleb Poland, the man they call the Raging Bull, has put his team in front with just over, what, four minutes to go. In went Alex, good header, Alisson! 3-3! Just will not be beaten. And, and you were battling with um, Michael Jordan, wasn't it, over, over that period? And I think he did he sign the season after as well. He was like a young goalkeeper from Arsenal, wasn't he? At the time? Yeah, yeah, Michael. Uh, he's did he have two? Did he have two years there? I can't. I, I can't think remember. he had like a short loan spell, maybe in that Carling Cup season, and then maybe signed permanently or signed on loan that season after. I think. Yeah, I think you know. I think you're right. You know, good guy, good young goalkeeper. Uh, you know, he's he was he was he was good for me as well because the, you know there wasn't an awful lot of uh, you know an age gap. It's only a few years between us, and we just pushed each other. You know, like like goalkeepers should be. But you know, we worked really well in the training. I wanted to help each other out, and he he was a really good guy too. Yeah, and the and the obviously the. We got relegated that season. I don't think people really remember now that we got relegated that season. Just a couple to think about. <laughs> but um, that was obviously the point when Roy Mack left. Rico took over for the latter part of that season, and it it, it was a weird way to get relegated because I think we beat Bradford three 0 at home, and then we both got relegated. So yeah, both teams got both teams got relegated. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, I I just and it it was frustrating because we had more than enough in the camp to stay up that season. Uh, but it's it's not a you know it's it's thankfully it's the only time I've been relegated uh, as a player. But it's not a feeling that you, you'd want any footballer to feel. It was horrendous, you know. You, especially like I said, when we felt we had more than enough to do, not just stay up, but do a lot better. I guess it ruins the summer holiday, does it? Oh, completely ruins. Absolutely, you, know, you don't stop thinking about it. You honestly, you literally don't stop thinking about it until you. Open the league campaign the next year. Yeah. You know, in in preseason games, you're constantly thinking about it. You know, you're always thinking about how you know you've let everybody down. Uh, you've not done enough. Uh, but then it, it takes. It honestly, it took quite a while to get over. Mm-hmm. How how did you find uh, Lee Richardson? Because it's fair to say that I've had a lot of I've had a loads of players now that have been around those squad. Peter Levens come on. Jamie Winter has Alan O'Hare. Aaron Downs, Paul Hall. Uh, we've had loads of players from around that time uh, that kind of worked with him. And it, it seems like there's a 50-50 split of some that quite liked him and some that didn't. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, like. can, I, can, I can see why. Uh, me personally, I had no problem with him. I had no problem with him until I left. And then I felt, you know, there was he, he said a couple of things that were, uh, in my opinion, a little bit disrespectful. But... At the time when I was playing for him, and he brought in Alan Nil as well, you know, I just I, I enjoyed playing for him. He was he was a good coach. He brought in Nilly, who was an even better coach, and obviously he's gone on to do really good things. But personally, I, I had no problem with Rico at all. You know, he he was all as I said until I left. He was always very good at me. 
Yeah, I, I remember the spell. There was a spell around maybe Christmas time, was it, when I think maybe Lee Richardson's, like, someone in his family was ill or something like that, and, and Alan Nil took over for a while. And I remember we was doing really, really well when Alan Nil took over for a bit, and the fans <laughs> were kind of calling for Alan Nil to take over instead. But he's, he's, I mean, he's gone on to great things as, as well, hasn't he? After it's a great coach. Yeah, Nil is he's done really, really well. Like, fantastic. Honestly, one of one of the best guys I've ever worked with, and one of the best coaches I've worked with as well. You know, on, on a daily basis, he was constantly his, his training sessions were brilliant. He was constantly challenging the players, and again, just a really, really good guy. Mm. So your last season then with Chesterfield, so this is 07-08, this was when it was like one of those seasons where we just narrowly, we came eighth, I think, or something yeah. like that, but should have, I mean, we should have probably, I think we were like third or fourth for quite a while, probably should have. Yeah, we, we dropped, too, we dropped too many silly points that year. Too many silly points. Uh, and we, we, you know, like you said, the players we had in the squad, the playoffs had to be the absolute minimum. Is there, is there like something you can like put your finger on what, what you think, like when you when you're in a yeah. situation like that and you just fall short, what you is that one player that you're missing or a one you know? Yeah, I had an absolute nightmare for the last four months of the season. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, like I remember the you know up until Christmas uh, for me, I was in the form of my life. I you know I was I, mean, I was really I was really pleased with my performances then, uh, but then after Christmas, my form dipped and I, I made quite a few mistakes for goals that, in hindsight, you look back, you know, cost us. Don't get me wrong, not the only one who made mistakes, but uh, you know, as a goalkeeper, you make a mistake nine times out of ten it's a goal, and I made too many in the running. How are you like mentally with things like that? Are you quite hard on yourself? Yeah, with things like that, I think you have. I think you have to be not necessarily hard on yourself, but you have to be honest. Uh, as a goalkeeper, you know, you know, take the clangers aside, but you know when you should have done better for a goal. Uh, but I was always, I was always completely honest with myself. Uh, a lot of a lot of players don't like watching the clips back, but I'd always the first thing I'd do is as soon as I could watch the goal, you'd watch it, see what you'd done wrong, but then I'd put it to bed, and then that'd be it. Move on till next week. Yeah, because it must be hard confidence-wise, because then you you kind of have to go back in the you have to kind of forget it, don't you, and and kind of start. Yeah, that, that, that's why I, I the last the last three or four months of the season were really really hard for me, uh, because I'm still a young goalkeeper, but. As you, I'm sure, know, there, there was a, a, a portion of the uh, Spyrite fan base that didn't take too kindly to me. And it was like, even in my warm-ups before games, you know, I was getting stick from the fans, from some fans. But, you know, it, it really helped me and it toughened me up a lot. Because if you're getting sarcastic cheers every time you catch a ball in the warm-up, you've, uh, you've got to have broad shoulders. Yeah, I was going to kind of ask you about that. Because obviously you did, you did catch a bit of flack. And in my opinion, kind of, Unfairly, because you played like a good hundred and twenty games for Chesterfield or something. Played a lot, of, played a lot of games, but yeah, well, I, I remember when it started. We were Rotherham away, and just before half time, I got beaten with a free kick, uh, and it, it's it's gone in off the post, but it's goalkeeper side. So you think you know, goalkeeper shouldn't be beaten on his own side, but it was by no means it was by no means a howler, and we were up in the top end, and obviously you've got to walk to the dressing rooms past the away fans, so past the Chesterfield fans. And as I've walked in the gate towards the dressing rooms, like 10, 15, 20 of the fans rushed towards me and I started getting absolute pelters. And I was sort of taken aback on, man, listen, I know I should have done better, but it's not a, a big mistake. And then I've come out for the second half and uh, I was getting dogs abused from my own, from uh, Chesterfield fans, obviously not all of them. 
but I did something that I shouldn't have done, whereas I uh, I reacted and uh, gave him the middle finger, and then uh, it went downhill from then on. It's hard, though, isn't it? It's like it's it's almost like in some ways the fans and I mean we've had a, a game last night against Dagenham when we were three 0 down at half time and there was <laughs> this you know this fans it's almost some fans sometimes expect them to be able to do and say whatever they want uh, but then don't allow a player to have yeah. the chance but to that, react. That, that happens all the time. It's like you know you you'll always get the, you know, we, we've paid our money to come in. We can say what we want. Well, hold on a second. If you're going to shout for 90 minutes, you know, obscenities at a player and, you know, some of the things that were said uh, weren't, you know, for me of no place anywhere, but you, you know, we're all humans. We're, you know, we're, it's going to get to a point where you're going to want to react, you know, don't get me wrong. In hindsight, I know I shouldn't have reacted in the manner I did, but, you know, I was, I was a young lad making my way in the game and I, I, like I said, I reacted, but, that's history. It's history, yeah. That's how it goes, isn't it? And I suppose as a goalkeeper as well, you have to literally stand <laughs> in front of them, don't you, for a match? Yeah. You're not like you're sent to midfield and you kind of can you, you think hide in the middle of the pitch for a bit or yeah. something. You know, you're right up there with them, aren't you? You hear every single comment, and especially when you know you're getting a bit of stick, every single comment stands out a little bit more. But uh, I, I firmly believe that those four months really, really toughened me up and, and really helped me for the rest of my career. Because as a goalkeeper, you make a big mistake, immediately you you want the ground to swallow you up because it, you know there's no hiding place. It's it's horrendous. Uh, but like I said, it, it, though it was a tough time in my career, but it really, really toughened me up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And was it, because I think you had a year left on your contract, didn't you? Something, yeah. something like that. So, but was it quite nice then to have a fresh start? I needed a fresh start. Uh, yeah, I definitely needed a fresh start. Um, it was a mutual agreement. You know, you're free to go. Okay, right. Let, let, I'll, I'll go. Um, but I remember we played. We played away at Morecambe, maybe March, April time, uh, up in Christie Park. We drew one all, and I remember coming out afterwards. I'm like, Christie Park is not the nicest stadium for an away player. I remember coming out afterwards and going. Oh, I tell you what, imagine playing there every week. Two months later, I was up the road signing for them. Playing for them for what? Over how many games did you play for them in the end? Uh, something? Just shy of 500, I think. Wow. Is it nice to be like a legend somewhere to play that? Game? <laughs> it must be. Well, I wouldn't say that, but I found my home here. I found, uh, you know, I loved it here. I loved, I played my best football here without a shadow of a doubt. You know, I love the club. I'm in the area. Uh, so, yeah, and obviously I'm still on the coaching staff now. Uh, but for me, this, you know, like I said, I, I love this club. Mm. And and it's funny. I only re- I only realised this afternoon when someone put it, but it's the ninth anniversary today of the four three Morecambe Chesterfield. I didn't want to mention. I saw that this afternoon. I didn't want to mention that. Yeah, yeah. That you know that was because uh, obviously every time I played against Chesterfield for Morecambe, there was always going to be the you know a, a group of people giving me sticks. So it it, it was that one was a was a very very special one and. Um, but I always seem to, I always seem to play well against Chesterfield. Uh, you know, some really, some good victories, but obviously that that one was really special because you know the talent Chesterfield had in their squad at that stage. You know, they they blew us away first half. It was like you know it could have been it could have been a cricket score. Uh, 
but we always felt that if we got one back, you know, you, you get back in the game with standing chance, and it was it was brilliant. But funnily enough, uh, Gary McSheffrey played in that game, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, because that happened yeah, last that, year, didn't it? For was it Doncaster? Doncaster, yeah. I I I hadn't I hadn't realised, uh, and then he said to me afterwards, he goes, "Last two times I've been here, I've been three up at halftime and lost four three. <laughs> I remember I was at the game then when that happened and I remember at half time was having a conversation in the stand saying what do you think it'll be six seven eight yeah. you know and then the second half it just felt like I think Paul Cook kept bringing on substitutions he kept bringing on defenders to try and shore it up and it just seemed to make it worse um yeah. it's amazing it couldn't, it couldn't that's, have... that's a good thing about football isn't it games like that even when you're on the losing side of it yeah. it's a great Great you couldn't you couldn't have had two different halves of football because like I said we got absolutely we got passed off the park in the first half you know Owen Doyle uh, you know the other McSheffrey other players and it was like this is tough but then uh, second half you know we were absolutely brilliant we we obviously had to up our game um, and uh, yeah luckily, luckily got back in and that that's one of the that's what I'll be honest that's one of my favourite uh, favourite games in a Morecambe shirt yeah. Well, it goes down in forms of those legendary games, even though we were on the wrong side of it. <laughs> it's something that you remember. Um. Shea's ball, it's found its way through to Doyle. Great chance for the opening goal, and Doyle hand, scores almost it. Almost self-destructing. Here's Dariqua. Right across goal for McSheffrey, it's 2-0. Here's Doyle, away for one challenge, running into traffic. Still going though, Doyle! Oh, how has he done that? Looking to hit back straight away. Nice pass into the path of Edison. It's actually bounced off him and into the net. Quite got this clear. Now there's arms and legs everywhere, and it's been turned in. Mark Hughes is the man oh, celebrating. This free kick is delivered in, and it's been touched in, and Morecambe's comeback is complete. Thanks to Jack Sampson. Searches out, and it's 4 3. Morecambe have turned this game on its head. So, so which Chesterfield players are you still kind of in touch with then? You're still in touch with a lot of them? Because you were there for uh, a while, you? Just Danzy. Dan, Dan, Aaron Dan's my, he's, uh, you know, Danzy's my best mate. I speak to him once or twice a week still. Uh, so he's Colin Larkin occasionally, Alan O'Hare occasionally. That's more just sort of through socials. Yeah. But uh, no, Dan, Danzy's the one, you know, try and get to see him whenever I can. Uh, obviously, it's... It's a bit harder now because he's one end of the country on the other. But, um, you know, we, we speak to each other still a couple of times a week. At least you both get holidays at a seaside if you want them. <laughs> Just yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've, been, I've been down to, he's living in Cheltenham, but I've been down, when he was living in Turkey, uh, I'd been down to spend a couple of, so, you know, a couple of days in his consecutive summers with him down there. And, you know, it's really nice. Every time he's sort of played up north, he's come and stayed with me for a night. Uh, so yeah, it, we we catch up when we can. Uh, obviously, like I said, it's, it's a bit more difficult nowadays, but you know we're always in contact. Yeah, and and finally, just talk about coaching. So it's obviously you're coaching now. How's it changed since you were playing? Because obviously, it's interesting. I was talking to, uh, I think it was Tommy Lee. I was talking to actually about coaching. He was saying that obviously there was a time when all keepers were six foot five. And then now goalkeepers are kind of getting shorter but quicker because it's all all changed, hasn't it? How's yeah. how's it kind of changed in in your time, kind of being? Well, a, I think, like you said, back then it was you know the first one of the first questions someone would ask about the goalkeeper is how how big is he? 
and you know, if, you know he's, he's six foot right now we don't want him whereas the, the, fir- the first question and I, I think it's wrong that this question is the first one asked certainly not the first one I'd ask a lot of the times the first question is now is how good is he with his feet hmm. but for me yeah you've got to be good with your feet but goalkeeper's job is to make saves keep the ball out, out of the net uh, you know personally I still like I like a big goalkeeper a big strong goalkeeper but it's definitely not a case of oh he's only six one you you know six six foot six one you don't you don't rule those goalkeepers out whereas 15, 20 years ago you know as you know Tommy said they probably would have been ruled out a lot more than uh, than they should have been yeah so do you see this as your kind of uh, your kind of career then now until you until you're retiring you're going to be a goalkeeping yeah coach. yeah I, I i don't see myself doing doing anything else and <laughs> obviously no idea what the future is going to hold and you know it's uh sometimes it can be up in the air you know with new managers coming in and stuff like that uh but you know i, lo- I love what i do I, I feel very very fortunate that i'm uh that i'm doing something that i love and it's uh it's the next best thing to play in you still get him between the sticks every now and then to show him how it's done. So I've done my time, no chance. No, uh, that's the one thing I, I don't actually miss the training. I don't miss, I, I thought I'd really struggle when I came out uh, and stopped playing. But so the last, I, I sort of three or four months of when I was playing, um, you know, I play on the Saturday and then I wouldn't feel right till the Thursday. You know, it'd take me a few days, you know, quite a few days to get over it and training become began to get a lot less enjoyable because of the aches and pains so I'll be honest I, I do not miss it one little bit I love what I'm doing but don't miss the playing side yeah and and I suppose you were really fortunate I've spoken to loads of footballers who don't get to retire on their own terms you know that it's either through injury or through not being able to find another club or something like that you've played what how many games must you have played seven eight hundred games uh, just over 600 I think yeah, so I mean, it, it must be nice to have, you know, got that whole way through a career and kind of been able to, to, to see it all that all that way through. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm, to be honest, I'm extremely proud of my career, you know, but I also, I consider myself extremely lucky to have, uh, you know, to have had the career I've had and to uh, to have played the amount of games I've played because not an awful lot of people get get to do that, you know. If someone had have said to me when I was starting out that you'll play till you're 37, I'd have snapped their hand off. And, you know, like I said, I consider myself very fortunate to have been able to do that. Yeah, and you obviously got to got to have many times at Linda's Sandwich Shop and and Saltergate and stuff like that. So you've... Oh, Lind- Linda's Sandwich definitely the highlight. <laughs> Last ditch stuff from Morecambe. Pompey battering down the hatches into the. It's Roach. He's headed the ball home. Barry Rhodes, the goal has gone up to attack the set piece. 